Roberta took a cigarette from a box on the sideboard and hunted about the room for matches. At last, she found one. She lit her cigarette and leant over the windowsill. She became aware of a new sound. It came up through her conscious thoughts, gaining definition and edge. It was a thin blade of sound, sharp and insistent. It grew louder. It was inside the building, an intermittent, horridly shrill noise that came closer. A hand closed round Roberta's heart. Someone was screaming. Hello and welcome to Story Girls, a fortnightly podcast about books with a dash of absurdity. I'm Alicia. And I'm Lindsay. And welcome to the first episode of our second season. This one is about mysteries of the golden age, specifically written by female authors. The queens of crime. The queens of crime. Uh, We actually did do a mini-sode which precedes this to explain our topic for this um, this season. So you can check that out, but just a little primer. We are focusing on four authors. Mm -hmm. Um, Our first is Nio Marsh. Marsh. <laughs> uh-huh. Our second is Josephine Tay. Mm-hmm. Our third is Marjorie Allingham. And our last, but definitely not least, mm-hmm. is Dorothy Sayers. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. go listen to the mini-sode. I don't want to <laughs> say it all again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go listen to the mini-sode if you want a little primer on why we are particularly interested in this era and these authors and what it's all about. Yeah. And so this book is The Surfeit of Lampreys. Mm-hmm. And we hope that you really enjoyed reading this book because we really enjoyed reading this book. But before we get into the book, let's talk about Niall Marsh. Let's talk about her. Niall Marsh was a very, very prolific crime writer, mystery writer. Mm. Um, she was born in 1895 in Christchurch, New Zealand. Yay. So she's a Kiwi. <laughs> um which makes her distinct from the other authors that, who we're covering in this season because they're all British mm. and she's the only one who's not. Um, so, yeah, she was born in New Zealand, 1895. Her parents neglected to register her birth for five years. <laughs> and so by the time they got around to it, they couldn't remember what day she was born on. So there's some uh, a mystery <laughs> surrounding her date of birth, but she chose to... Uh, celebrate her birthday on April 23rd because that was Shakespeare's birthday. Hmm. Um, and she was a big Shakespeare fan because she was also very, very into theater. Hmm. And she wrote and produced and directed and acted in plays. Um, she's actually more celebrated in New Zealand for her work in theater than she is for her uh, detective fiction, which is kind of crazy considering she wrote something like 43 <laughs> detective novels. Hmm. So that gives you a sense of how uh, influential she was in the theater world if they're even more <laughs> celebrating her for that than the you know tens of tens of tens the scores the scores yeah she has uh she's quite distinguished at this point in history she has a um, a theater named after her at the University of Canterbury in Christchurch, New Zealand. She won an OBE in 1948. In 1966, she was made a Dame Commander of the Order of the British Empire. So, Woo-woo. yeah, she's actually Dame Niomarsh for using her proper title. Um, and her home is now a house museum that you can visit. Oh, yeah, love so. a good house museum. I know, I love a good house museum. I hope there's bracelets made of her hair. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't actually think that's disgusting. Um, yeah. Hair so, jewelry. Hair jewelry. Ooh. It was a fad. The Brontes were into it, but mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. doubt somehow that Niall Marsh was into it. Mm. I would be surprised. All um, right. Anyway, in her personal life, she was very, very reticent about her personal life. She did not really... She wrote an autobiography called... She liked it to be a mystery. She did Ooh, like sorry. it. <laughs> we might as well. Uh, she, Yeah, she wrote an autobiography called Black Beach and Honeydew, but even in that, it was um, a lot more about her career and not very much about her personal life. Um, she was described to be... She was quite tall, thin, uh, described as, quote, mannish, um, with large feet and shoes like canal boats so many um she was it was widely speculated that she was a lesbian which she flatly denied her entire life however she did have some um she never married she never had children she had very very close relationships with women throughout her entire life um and at the end of her life she systematically destroyed her personal papers um so she really didn't want people knowing what was going on with her Fair. Fair. It's fair. fair. It's interesting. Like, I wonder what she thought. Yeah. Like, <sighs> <laughs> you wonder what she thought. I do. I wonder, <laughs> what she, I wonder what she anticipated, like, would happen after her death that she mm. was like, I want to destroy these papers. Mm-hmm. Like, this isn't the me I want out there, or I don't want my secrets revealed, right. or like, f- fuck them all. They don't get any part of me. Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I yeah. Don't know. Um, but yeah, that's, so that's a bit of background on Niall Marsh. Cool. All right. All right. So let's get into the surfeit of lampreys. Mm -hmm. Into the bowl of prompts. Bowl of prompts. And just a little, a little wee note about our second season prompts. They are, um, some of them are different. Some of them are the same. Whoa now. Whoa there. Problematic things in the book. Well, this is an odd one to be starting with. It is an odd one to be starting with. Well, let's let's dive in. Um, So I can think of a couple sort of racial things Mm. off the bat. Mm -hmm, There's mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the main character, Roberta, or nicknamed Robin, is traveling from New Zealand. And when she arrives in England, the lampreys, two of the lampreys greet her by coming to the... uh, the pier. The pier and doing a haka, mm. which is like a Maori yeah. cultural ritual dance. Yeah, which they would have observed when they lived in New Zealand along with Robin. Mm-hmm. But they do it for comic effect yeah. and to stand out. Yeah, and then they make a comment when she meets up with them about how they wanted to paint themselves black, which is, uh, which is a... Yeah, that's not a good look. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bad look. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that one's pretty problematic. Mm-hmm. Um, what else is there in this one? Well, there's also just a throwaway line from Mike, who's a little boy who is described as doing like a, a red Indian yell or something. So again, mm. like very like racialized um, tropes of the time. Not really a trope, but like, you know, descriptors or things from. And that is honestly, that's going to be a recurring woe there in this entire season because mm. as we said these books were written in the interwar period so 20s and 30s there was a lot of racism unfortunately yeah yeah, yeah. and it will obviously not encompass all the perspectives that we 
um, like acknowledge in today's society mm-hmm. and that we perhaps should acknowledge more in today's society. Well, not perhaps we like, there's lots of still, so there is g- going to be some perspectives that are just never going to be mentioned in these books. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah. They're a product of their time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Is that all the, is there anything else you can think of for problematic things? I can't really. Well, there's problematic things in terms of, I think sometimes like the female male relationships, Mm -hmm. but I think we'll get into those into, in a different, and also like class, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, it's a good point. There's a lot of class based, um, discourse in this about who, who is more or less likely to have committed crimes. Yeah. Um, with the consensus being, it's obviously the lower classes, which mm-hmm. again, we see a lot of in, in these mysteries. Yeah. And I mean, even though the lampreys have like quite a privileged air about the fact that like they've just been visited by people to whom they owe money to like their whole lives and like they're very nonchalant about it. Mm-hmm. Like, and there's like all that guys in the kitchen, whereas for <laughs> someone bum. who was not of that status, yeah. like that's a huge, like you're not, you're not flippant about that. You're not right. making jokes about that. Like that's their privilege coming through is that they can just, uh, like they have been able to mm-hmm. just lean on wealthy friends and family. And you know, yeah, that's a privilege of the class. Yeah. Even when they talk about like, oh, we're cutting down, we're spending like no money. It's like what they actually mean is we have still have a whole bunch of servants and a nanny and a cook and, and we're going to the less popular vacation spots, not yeah. the more popular vacation yeah. spots. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, their, their, um, their view of, pulling up their bootstraps is still really foreign to, I think, Mm -hmm. most of the population and probably most of us who are reading it today. Like, that's not a luxury that you or I have. Mm -mm. Um, And it's not a luxury that most people in this world have. So it's a really privileged viewpoint and that is problematic. But if you can, again, see that as a product of time, a product of the... um, the titled nobility mm-hmm. and, but also see them as like the eccentric, like you get some real eccentricities that come out. You definitely do. And I would like to note too, that this book is an, it does comment on that Oh like, yeah, through the character of Robin, who is very much like critical of them. And then even, you know, there are lots of characters in the book who are like, wow, these people are so privileged. Mm-hmm. So it doesn't go without comment. Yeah. And there's also the juxtaposition against the Lampreys and Alan, mm-hmm. who is also one of the nobility, but mm-hmm. who has gotten a job, mm-hmm. does a job really well and yeah. has not decided just to spend his life becoming eccentric. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Alrighty. All right. What else do we have here? Oh, wow. This is coming early this time. Books with Brad. I'm not sure why I'm on the show. <laughs> so we have a different Brad question this season. Ooh. Um, which character in this book should be played by Brad Pitt? Hmm. Well, I mean, I kind of want it to be Robin's love interest because mm. I feel like Brad would do so well in like a young titled nobility, like right. heir kind of role. Mm-hmm. What's mm-hmm. that guy's name? Henry. Henry. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I feel like he could do Henry, but I also feel like older Brad could do handsome Alan. Oh. Because Alan is supposed to be handsome. He like, is. He is. And Brad is obviously and actually, like, you know, Brad brings a depth to his roles, much like Alan, where, like, you don't always give them the credit because they're mm. so good looking. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so are well, we it's talking? a fact in this world that pretty people sometimes don't have to try as hard. It's true. Life it's can true. be easier for them. You know who I was thinking Brad could play? It was um, Lord Charles. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. uh-huh. I feel like current Brad would make a great... Because he's a very nuanced character. He's the one that, that, of all of them, that Roberta's the most like, I don't quite think I've got a grasp on you. Right, yeah. right. There's a bit of mystery going on there. Yeah, because he's not as frivolous or flippant as the rest of his family. No. But he has obviously really enjoyed his family becoming so. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he's just harder to read, I yeah. think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's there's several choices. Oh my god, it could be like a being John Malkovich situation where he could play all of them. Ooh. Or an Eddie Murphy situation. Or like um when that oh, professor. Like a sleuth, um, because there's like some costume swapping of like same characters. Right. Or Joe versus Volcano where <laughs> Meg Ryan plays all three female characters. <laughs> I'm really loving this adaptation we're setting up here. <laughs> it's gonna be good. <laughs> all right. All right. Oh, the detective and the Watson. Okay. The detective and the Watson. Okay, so let's talk about Alan. Yep. He's the detective. Mm-hmm. And then he's got Inspector Fox. Right. So interestingly, I also would say that Inspector Fox is his Watson. Mm. However, my book, and I believe your book does too, has at the very beginning a list of characters. Yes. And a little description of them. In which it says, um, Nigel Bathgate, Watson to Mr. Allen. Uh, mm. Yeah. I disagree with that. I disagree with that. Nigel Bathgate. I'm, what, okay. I see why they're saying that because he's the one that like at the end when um, like Alan kind of reveals that he has figured it out, that he knows mm-hmm. what's going on. Mm-hmm. He does the whole like, here's all my clues things. Haven't you figured it out? And he does that to Nigel Bathgate, to Nigel Bathgate. which is a classic like Sherlock talks everything through with Watson. And then eventually he's like, Watson, haven't you figured it out yet? <laughs> but oh, but I, feel so like, smart. I feel like Fox <laughs> is there too, isn't he? I don't think that Fox is in that conversation. Oh, interesting. Um, okay. Okay. Well, but I guess that having, cause Nigel Bathgate, so having read more than one Niall Marsh, like Nigel Bathgate is not in all of them, but Fox is often the one mm-hmm. in other books who is doing a lot of like half of the work, like yeah, the I, footwork or like working. Cause Alan's kind of got a few people that he yeah. calls upon. Like he's got a team. He's got a team. He's got Bailey, his fingerprint yeah. guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so, but I think Fox is the guy who he usually has these conversations with. Yeah. And Fox, actually, I marked this page because um, there's a part where <laughs> it's basically just like there's a moment where Alan is just like feeling really like, you know, affectionate towards Fox. It says, um, Alan reflected that his affection for Fox must be impregnable since it survived the ordeal of watching him moisten his forefinger on his lower lip whenever he turned a page, a habit that in any other associate would have filled Alan with a desire to be rid of him. (laughs) So I don't know. I feel like there is definitely um, more of a relationship between Mm. Alan and Fox Mm -hmm. than there is. Yeah. Like Nigel is just like, he's a buddy. But they don't have that kind of, um, the same kind of camaraderie. Yeah, I know. I have to do correct myself because it does, Fox is there and Fox has already figured it out with Alan Mm. and Nigel Bathgate is kind of serving as that like mm, foil, like he's kind of for us foil because at this point I didn't know either. No. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So had Alan been here, he'd be like, uh, 
You didn't figure it out. You didn't figure it out. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, whatever happened to standards? Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that I think that covers the. Yeah, and I guess just Watson. to say, like, uh, yeah, about the the Holmes. So Alan is Niall Marsh's detective, mm-hmm. and as we said in the problematic section, he is someone who is of nobility, mm-hmm. who got a job, who's very good at his job. I yep. uh, he's not a flamboyant detective. He no. keeps a lot like locked behind his handsome Allen facade, which Mm -hmm. we do find out Nigel Bathgate, like named him that in the paper. So he's quite famous. Yeah. Um, He's, yeah, photogenic and famous. Like the Lampreys are excited. They're excited to meet him. Yeah. When he's coming to investigate them for murder. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, ooh. Yeah. So there's that. um, And, but yeah, he's not flamboyant. He's not, um, like in a lot of his interviews, he's quite patient. He's quite Mm -hmm. methodical. Mm -hmm. Uh, I do quite like Alan as a character. I like Alan. Yeah. yeah I think he's... I feel like he's someone who I, I don't want flamboyance. I want mm-hmm. sturdy. I want mm-hmm. thorough. I mm-hmm. want, yeah, like plays the long game. Yeah. And he's also like, he's very matter of fact and he's mm-hmm. very um, compassionate in his way. Like mm, he, yeah, he's patient with the people that he's interviewing and, but he's still like re- retains that kind of insightfulness where he mm-hmm. can kind of read them for what, you know, not just what they're saying, but like the way they're saying it or the things they're not saying. And he's very, yeah, mm-hmm. like you said, he's very good at his job. Yeah. And you can really see the way you can see how in the way that she writes him. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's not just her being like, and then this, he figured it out. Yeah. This guy's great at his job. It's like you actually watch him in progress and you watch him being good at his job. Yes. Yeah. 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 So well done, Niall well Marsh. Done. Well done, Alan. Which I would also just want to say is an Y in it. Al, is it Alain? It's not A L L E N. It's A L L E Y N. Um, Alain. Alain. <laughs> well, who knows? Yeah. Who knows? Who knows? All right. All right. Ooh, this magic moment. Favorite parts. There's a few. Wait, is now a good time to hit our spoiler alert? Probably, yeah. Um, for all of our episodes, we dive we dive deep. Yeah, everything's going to be spoiled. But at this point, we will just say <laughs> we're going to ruin this book for you. Yeah, if you don't know who done it, <laughs> yeah. you're going to find out. Yeah, which is best probably not to do with a mystery of all things. But no, no, you should read it. If you, you haven't, you can stop now. And go read it. Read it. Yeah. And then come back. Yeah. So this magic moment, um, what would I say? It's a very small moment. Okay. (laughs) But I do like the fact that like Alan is conducting all these interviews and he's keeping the lampreys in this room. Mm -hmm. And Frid is so convinced her time is coming. And then eventually they come in and they're like, you cannot go to bed. She's like, but. But not without seeing me. And they're like, <laughs> she's like no, doing no. her makeup and getting yeah. ready. She's the like, only one left. No, no. Like, yeah. you can. And she's like, I'm quite put on. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all just like smirking. They're all just smirking. I feel a little bit bad for Fred, but I just love that moment. She's like, yeah. what? Surely not. Yeah. yeah. She can't. She's been waiting all night. She's like, he's clearly saving me for the last. Yeah. Yeah. It's so funny. Yeah. 
And I also like the the reveal that while the lampreys have thought themselves to be clever, and this is a good, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, they they switch to speaking French, right, um, in front of the constable that's supposed to be watching them. Yeah, and then it turns out that he can speak French. So, they, yeah. but I mean, they took a chance; they took a gamble. It might not they have. Did. Yeah, it's so funny. And then when Fox finds out, he's oh, like, yeah. "Did you know that he could speak French?" And Alan's like. As a matter of fact, I did. Because <laughs> <laughs> Alan knows everything. Yeah. And then at the end, when Henry finds out, he's like, oh, Lord, like, yeah. we have been making asses of ourselves. <laughs> like, indeed. Yeah. And I have to say also, it's not a magic moment, but the ending mm. is so atmospheric we all know how i love my atmosphere <laughs> and just like shock me shock me shock me i was not i was not expecting the hand of glory no no one expects the hand of glory no that one. was quite a twist at the end there yeah yeah and yeah you're right like it's so the pouring rain and the wind and the the lights like the fuse are being pulled out in the house and everything's yeah. dark and, and you like, just get this real sense of like a giant old like ornately terribly like darkly decorated house and they're yeah. all climbing over the stairs with each yeah. other and like candlelight flickering yeah, and, like the and circles of candlelight that just like illuminate these little yes. patches like you yeah. really you could you can see it all yeah 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 it's so it's good. very well done yeah um all right well my favorite parts i'm gonna say um I really like the interview with Mike. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Mike, the youngest Lamprey, and he's only like, how old is Mike? Like nine, ten, ten, something like that. And they wait, Alan wakes him up to ask him what he saw. And it's just a really great, it's a really great interview because Alan is trying to, he's treading this line of trying to get information from Mike, find out what he saw because he knows that children that age are very observant and, mm-hmm. and he knows that he's going to be, any information he can recall is going to be really valuable, but he also doesn't want to scare him. Mm-hmm. And so Mike has these moments where he's really excited because he also has heard of Alan and has read mm. about him and wants to be get, be a detective when he grows up. So he's really, really excited to participate in the investigation, but he also has these moments where he pauses and he's like, what did actually happen? Mm. And so just trying to keep it in that realm of like unreality for him so yeah. that he doesn't get paralyzed and, and, too afraid to speak. Yeah, and I also think it's the the sign of what a good detective that Alan is mm-hmm. is because he asks really good questions but is very careful not to lead Mike. Like mm-hmm. he really lets Mike he, he knows how to pause mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and let Mike fill in so he's never like so he can really feel confident about Mike's information. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also such a nice interview because leading up to that interview, the whole family just trashes on Mike, like (laughs) makes up stories, Mike this, like they don't, they're like, we don't see the point. Like Mike will never tell you the truth. Right. Yeah. 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 And so he puts that faith in him and he's rewarded by getting some Mm -hmm. really good information. Yeah. And again, it shows his experience that he's like, huh, like, you yeah. are all ridiculous, and like I yeah. know that the ten-year-old is probably going to be the best witness I have. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then another favorite moment of mine is when he's interviewing Charlotte, mm. and uh, <laughs> she's she makes him laugh. Yeah. And he gets really like, he's like, I'm so sorry. This is so inappropriate. But like, I just like the way you were describing Lady Weatherwood, like muttering along behind (laughs) you, like he just loses it. Yeah. 
and he's like so apologetic and then she it's the middle of the night like she's scared out of her wits for her family yeah she you know goes into the next room and uh they're still speaking in french and frit asks her like oh how did you get on and she's like oh not so bad like I made him laugh and then she's kind of like all like wearily being like oh I didn't overdo it like he hadn't the faintest inkling of what I was trying to do like she was actually baiting him and trying to make him laugh and she's like oh he was so apologetic he didn't know and then it cuts to Alan in the next room and he's like blast that woman she was determined to break me up (laughs) he he totally knew he totally knew I just love that little interplay yeah yeah Yeah, so good all right, next from the bottle of prompts, who done it? Okay, who done it? Well, well. So I have to admit, with this book, I didn't see it until the end. No, which is quite good of Niall Marsh, considering that there's not really that many people who could mm-hmm. have done it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, so we have the Lampreys. Yep. So there are how many Lampreys? The two parents. Oh, good grief. There's Henry, Fred, Fred the, the twins, twins, Mike, Mike, and Patch. And Patch. Yeah. So there's six. Yeah. Lampreys. And then there's servants. There's Nanny. There's Cook. Cora Blackburn. Blackmore. Blackmore. Yeah. Uh, Basket. Basket. Oh, I feel like we should we should just jump over this and do names and then come back to this. All right. All Let's right. do it. Let's do it. Well, we don't need the page term for that. Let's just find it in the bowl of prompts <laughs> to make it legit. Rifle through the bowl of prompts. <laughs> Breaking all the rules. That's shocking. <laughs> all right. Ain't that a name? Names in the book that deserve a mention. All right. So we have some excellent names in this book. So many good names. Yeah. Yeah. The servants. Okay. We've got Basket. We've got Giggle. Who's the bum man. No, no. Giggle is the, the chauffeur. chauffeur. Right. The bum man is Grumble. <laughs> <laughs> and then the maid is Tinkerton. Yeah. And then there's Nanny and then there's Cora Blackmore, yep. which is a good name. That is a good name. Yeah. yeah. And then there's Lord and Lady Weatherwood. Yes. And then he's what? also Weatherwood. Weatherwood. Yeah. Weatherwood, like the Lord, the Marquis of Weatherwood and Rune. And Rune. And yeah, then like yeah. Henry as heir would be the like the lord of ruin which yeah. is weird but great it's so good yeah yeah and then we've got the lampreys which um so we looked this up and oh right gross i forgot about well because it's very interesting <laughs> because the front of my book spoiler alert for our last thing has has a crown on a cushion and i was like well this is weird and when i searched lampreys a surfeit of lampreys is actually like a historical term that refers to how king uh one of the king henry's i can't i think it might have been the first first or second i don't remember first or second he was presumed to have died from eating a surfeit of lampreys so lampreys in like the medieval times were Mm -hmm. a and i believe some people still eat them today i do think they do it's a fish but it's like a it's like a sucker fish it's got like a (laughs) round mouth with like teeth and (laughs) like sucks on and like there's like 30 different types and like they're cold and slimy and like some are parasitic like they attach onto other fish and like eat their insides while they're like still alive it's very very disgusting yeah and so what i learned was that in the medieval times you um ate everything according to like humor so there was 
like, oh shoot, there was like a scale of four and like one was like cold and wet and one was cold and dry and one was hot and wet and one was <laughs> hot and dry. And like, depending on where your personality or like how you were feeling, like if you were a hot tempered person, you were supposed to eat like cold, um, things to cold too. wet things cold wet things to like dampen your fire to keep you balanced it was right. all about eating and balance it's kind but of if like you were ayurveda really if a little bit yeah. yeah and if you were old um you were supposed to avoid eating cold and wet things because they could kill you <laughs> um anyways and so like there was a classification for all the foods right and no lampreys. ice cream for old people yeah and lampreys were cold and wet mm. and king henry had been advised not to eat them but apparently he loved these suckers so much that he ate them and then like died and like it was like of historical note that they were like we told him not to eat the lamb (laughs) they like he could have died from food poisoning they don't know i'm sure yeah yeah so the lampreys like so for instance like a hot and dry would have been like red wine and so you were supposed to cook lampreys in red wine oh you're supposed to kill them in the red wine and cook them in the red wine in order to offset how crazy they were on a scale of cold and wet they were like a one to ten they were a ten and cold and wet but he still really thought they were so delicious that he did that and then he died and didn't they put that on his tombstone i think so that he died of a surfeit of lamprey. yeah so that's actually where our title comes from yeah and then the lampreys deep cut people a deep cut and then the lampreys as a, as a people as a, yes. as a family a bit parasitic a bit parasitic delightful Perhaps Henry would agree. Like he's like, oh, there's a delightful, a bit parasitic, but so delicious. <laughs> but perhaps he just liked things cooked in red wine. Maybe. It's like how, uh, for me, anything in butter and garlic is better. <laughs> Do you think that's cold or hot or wet or dry? Butter and garlic. Oh, garlic would be hot, and I feel it would be dry. But butter would be wet. Butter would be hot and wet. Derailed this meeting with another obscure comment. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, so that's what the lampreys mean, and that's the kind of it's just an interesting uh, commentary on the family of the lampreys. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an interesting yeah. choice of of name and title mm-hmm. for sure gives you a little extra to think about there. Yeah, um, and then in terms of the lampreys themselves, we have. Patch and Frid. Mm-hmm. Yep, Patricia and Frida. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, Charlotte is Charlotte. Charlotte, Charlotte. I know, it's like C-H-A-R-L-O-T. I know, I want to say Charlotte, but I think it's Charlotte. I don't know. In the, uh, I have the audiobook of this, and they say Charlotte, but I don't. And that's not her name at all. It's not her name at all. I feel like that must be like of Charles or something, because her husband yeah. is Charles, because her name is Imogen, and her husband calls her Immy. Yeah. But the rest of them call her Charlotte or Charlotte. Yeah. So who knows what's going on there? Who knows what's going on there? Um, we've got Roberta, who is much better known by the nickname Robin. Yeah. And I prefer Robin as yeah. a name. So do I. Uh, and she's kind of described mm. as looking a little bit like a Robin. Like yeah. She's small and bird-like. Small and bird-like and a little bit gray. Mm. Doesn't Alan refer to her as like gray? Oh, because isn't that her last That's name? That's her last name. <laughs> Also yep. a great NASA name, Robin Gray. Robin Gray. Ooh, good name. That's a good name. Yep. All right. Who else do we have? Well, we have um, Gabriel and V, Aunt V. Oh, yeah. Whose name was, he just gave her the name Violet because... She had like an unpronounceable like right. Eastern European name. It actually says it later in the book. Her name was Glapira Zadoti. <laughs> it's great. 
<laughs> so Why great. didn't she just go go by Zodi? Like, <laughs> yeah, the Dodi. <laughs> um, and then also a notable name I think is Lady Catherine Loeb. Yeah, also a great name. Yeah, who is yeah. also more affectionately known as Aunt Kit. Yep, and who is hard of hearing, and her last name is Loeb. Like, <laughs> Loeb. <laughs> oh, it's so subtle. It's so subtle. Um, yeah, lots of nicknames, which lots I think nicknames. is another way for um, Naya Marsh to establish like the affection and like mm-hmm. the type of family this is. That they're very flippant, and they're, you know, they they have these little pet names for one another. Right. Um, yeah. Which I think adds a nice layer mm-hmm. to them. Um, I do love the part where they, so we've already established like basket and grumble and like <laughs> giggle. And at one point Alan's like, well, I'd like to talk to the chauffeur. And then he's looking at his papers and he's like, can his name be Giggle? <laughs> and Charlotte's like, yes, yes. Like all of our servants have names like that. It's, all, it's always been that way. And then later when they find out about the, the bum bailiff Grumble and they're yeah. like, yeah, that's not his name. His name is Grimble. And like one of the inspectors is like, I wouldn't be surprised if this Giggle fellow's name is actually Higgins or something. <laughs> they just like are insisting that his name is Giggle. Yeah. Yeah. So some great, great names. Great names in this book. All right. All right. Now we can move back to... Yeah, well, we don't have to page turn. Let's do it anyway. Okay. Uh, who done it? So we're going to run through our, some of our <clears throat> notable suspects. suspects. Mm-hmm. So we've got the Lampreys. Obviously, yes. they stand the most to gain from mm-hmm. Lord mm-hmm. Weatherwood mm-hmm. dying. Um, and especially because there seems to be a situation at one point, Colin and Stephen, the twins, yep. they're, they're covering for each other. Well, one of them's covering for the other and they're right. kind of doing a thing that they've done since the dawn of time in which, because yeah. um, one of them was in the lift. Yes. With the dead, not dead, dying. With the dying man. The dying man. Um, and then we've got uh, Lady V, who is a suspect clearly because she and her husband, like he was yelling for her and she was also in the lift yeah. and she's now a member of the... A cult? <laughs> Is that a membership thing? <laughs> she's got it. <laughs> she's got a card. Yeah. I know. Mem- no, she's, yeah, she's been practicing black magic. Yeah. And so she's clearly a little mentally unbalanced. She's mentally unbalanced. Um, Obviously, Lord Charles also um, mm-hmm. is a suspect, specifically because he and his brother argued right beforehand. He asked his brother for money. Robin knows from overhearing the conversation as yeah. they were all had their... <laughs> Lying on the floor with their ears pressed on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. That he was denied and mm-hmm. she later lies and says yep. n- not that that it was enough to make you kind of doubt, I feel like. You know she's covering, but we also didn't hear she's claiming that no one could have heard the conversation. So you're like, did Niall Marsh delete that? Like just oh, omit right. that? Yeah. So it's a little bit it's it's not a great red herring, but it's a little bit of a red herring mm-hmm. that, that passage. Mm-hmm. And then we have the servants. Right. Um, Basket, who is like sort of like the butler Mm -hmm. figure for the Lampreys, Um, nurse and nanny. Mm -hmm. No, wait, there is no nurse. The nurse comes. Oh, the nurse comes. Because um, Gabriel doesn't die right away. Right. And then she stays to look after Aunt V, who's gone. Yeah, so she comes with the doctor. Oh, we forgot to say his name. Doesn't he have a good name? Yeah, Dr. Cantrip. Cantrip. And then there's Dr. Curtis. Yeah. So Dr. Cantrip is a Lamprey's doctor and Dr. Curtis is a police doctor. Yeah. yeah. I like Cantrip's Cantrip, name. Cantrip, it's a good name. It's a good name. Yep. 
Yeah. Um, and really like one of Niall Marsh's tricks is that you mainly are focused on the lampreys. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And they're a really fun group of people to focus on. Mm-hmm. Um, so the whole time you're kind of like, I really don't want these people to be guilty because... But look at all the things they're doing that make them seem guilty. Switching yeah. into talking in a foreign language. Yeah. Um, setting each other's alibis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the twins playing... Uh, switcheroo or like yeah the twins are apparently so identical that unless you hear them speak you can't tell them apart because one of them has a stammer yeah but there is also a mole a mole behind his ear which lady v does mm-hmm. but she thinks it's like the sign of the devil or something she does she, <laughs> they, she tells alan that it was like the devil that killed her husband and yeah. he had like taken the form of steven the twin mm-hmm. um yeah so she fingers one of the twins yeah um lady lamprey charlotte fingers lady v it's a traditional detective like fingering for a crime <laughs> but i will say something else because i can't help but hear how dirty that sounds now. <laughs> is there any sex in this book no oh there <laughs> is wait we haven't got there yet i was commenting on my finger <laughs> uh, okay. yeah um so in terms of okay in terms of other characters who are in the running for suspects um Interestingly, because I'm just going to go ahead and yeah. we already talked about spoilers. Yeah. We do later on find out that uh, Tinkerton, who mm-hmm. is Lady V's maid, has masterminded this whole thing. Basket was the one who... Not Basket. No, no, no. Sorry. Sorry, Basket. I'm sorry. Giggle. Giggle. <laughs> was the one who stabbed Gabriel through the eye with a skewer and eventually causing his death. Yeah. Um, and she masterminded she it. She masterminded it. Because... She's damn well debauched my chauffeur. (laughs) (laughs) And so he's going to do whatever she wants. Yeah, we find out. um, So Giggle does start to become looking like a suspect because they send people to look into, like everyone's kind of asked about their past. Like what's your connection with Lord Weatherwood? Mm -hmm. And Giggle has been the longtime chauffeur. It's a position he took over from his dad. And when they dispatch um, detectives back to Lord Weatherwood's like country estate, mm-hmm. they learn a little bit more that they're due to a, like a debt or like a good service that Giggles' dad did for the former lord. Well, it was actually the the, the dad, the grandfather, the grandfather. He um, saved him from like a runaway horse. Yeah, yeah. And so Giggle is due to actually like inherit or like own the property which his like cottage is on right he inherits a nice little cottage it's actually which is going up in value yeah and this kind of seems like whenever lord witherwood decided to finally give it to him Mm -hmm. which he has not yet done or on his death yeah um and what they also discover is that there is like a development coming in and Mm -hmm. giggle's land is about to be worth a lot more right perhaps giggle was concerned that lord weatherwood would renege on this promise which he had previously done because Because he wasn't doing it no and it was supposed to be his giggle's father and he Mm -hmm. never gave it to his father yeah and so but also i feel like that's really well played because Mm -hmm. You're given that information, but also given it... Um, as background. As background, and also as almost like a, well, Giggle's not going to be the murderer because look at his history and his connection with his family. Like, they've been with this family for three generations. Like, mm-hmm, why mm-hmm. is he suddenly going to turn on them? Like, yeah, yeah, it's establishing 
his motive, but it's also establishing his unlikeliness to yes. murder that family member. Well, because this is also uh, the crime itself does mm-hmm. not lend itself to pre-planning. No, it was very much a seized opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, grossly seized. Grossly seized. But I also, I noticed in my reread this time around that... Um, the very first conversation that the family has after the death. Mm-hmm. Um, well, who does everybody think did it? Asked Frid brightly. Tinkerton, said Colin. Or Giggle, said Stephen. Oh, wow. Yeah, the very first. And then you only say Tinkerton or Giggle because you don't know them as well as Basket and the Maids, Henry pointed out. So right there. The twins have it. The twins have it. And she's telling you. Nope. Like she disregard. Right. They have an ulterior reason for thinking that they want to think that because they, those are the people they don't know as well. Yeah. And the lampreys are often shown as closing ranks the Mm -hmm. whole time. So anyone with another ranks is like held up more as a suspect. Um, Most notably lady V who they're definitely not close with. And even within them, Henry's like, Oh, I really don't think she did it. Yeah. So it's immediately telling you like, they don't care who actually did it. They just care that it's not, one of them is not found to have done it. Yeah. So by that means, Nio Marsh very cleverly, yeah, like, um, misdirects you. Yeah. 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 It's good. Um, and also, <laughs> it was just sort of like the reverse point to Brad being <laughs> the handsome, pretty people don't have to work as hard, Brad and handsome Alan. This is the opposite of that because one wonders if Tinkerton springs to mind because she's described as very hideous mm. and they say a couple of hilarious things about her. Um, I just have to read two descriptions of her. Um, so this one is from Alan when she comes in to talk to him. It says... She was colorless, not only in complexion or merely because she gave no impression of character, but all over and in detail. Ouch. (laughs) Colorless, all over and in detail. And then later on, Henry says, um, Giggle's been with them since he was a kid. He's a mild, stupid man and plays with trains with Mike. Tinkerton is objectionable on the general grounds that she's got a face like a dead flounder and smells of hair combings. Ew, what does hair combing smell I like? I don't know. I haven't even heard the term hair combings. It just, I don't know, baffles oh, me. Oh, I, I kind of know. You do? Well, they didn't bathe nearly as much back in the day, right? Right. So people like more natural oils, but also like the dust and stuff like that, like it's into mm. people's hair, like hairbrush okay. smell is what she smells like. She smells like old, old hairbrush. dusty, greasy hairbrush. Well, that's gross. It's really gross. I feel like we need a gross yeah. sound effect. It would be interesting because I feel like if you were to watch this in a movie, mm-hmm. you would probably notice Tinkerton more unless they right. did a really good job of making her blend in with the scenery mm-hmm. being so colorless. Right. Because crazy aunt and like a servant who you do find out like manipulates her like Mm -hmm. that is a trope like of you know that kind of manipulative servant who's slowly taken over like a mentally unstable Mm -hmm. rich person and Mm -hmm. is kind of manipulating them yep yeah yeah tinkerton is a she's a dark horse she is a dark horse yeah yeah and you do she immediately then becomes suspicious once Alan has interviewed her because Alan is immediately like, well, she's the only one who just full on lied the whole time. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, but you're not quite sure about what, because he doesn't yeah, tell you. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And mm-hmm. it's really one of those things like this is a gift of the mystery. If you went back and like Alan took notes of everyone's interviews mm-hmm. and compared them together, you might see what Alan sees, but we're not doing that. No, so we rely certain, on... It's a certain type of reader, but it's not us. <laughs> it's not us. That ruins it all. Yeah. I don't want to actually find out. I want the story to tell me. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's characteristic of these novels that we will be covering that if you wanted to, you could. Yes. Yeah. And that's how good that they are because mm-hmm. you can go back and you can be like, oh, I see it here. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. yeah. it's better than those mysteries where they tell you something that they just never told you before at the yeah. end. They're like, oh, by the way, like if they had arrested Giggle and we're like, oh, well, actually Lord Weatherwood was like totally screwing mud of this inheritance and blah, 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 blah. Like if yeah. they had told you that way. Yeah. It would have been like, oh, well, how was I supposed to figure that out? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It doesn't like, yeah, these books all, everything culminates in a way that makes sense at the end because you've already had all the information. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. Okay. This is our new Feminism 101 prompt. (laughs) Queens of crime. So we want to talk a little bit about the fact that all these books that we're covering this season Mm -hmm. were written by women Mm -hmm. um, who were... Well, kind of, we're kind of bastardizing the term a little bit. Uh, Queens of Crime was a term that was applied to Niall Marsh, Marjorie Allingham, Dorothy Sayers, and Agatha Christie, who we are eliminating. You can listen to our intro-sode if you would like to know why. Um, and we're substituting in Josephine Tay. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, Queens of Crime. And so we're going to talk a little bit about... Um, the if feminism, see, yeah. yeah, the feminist angle of these books, any feminism that we see, how they maybe are different from books that were, were written by men. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I would definitely say that there's a wealth of different female characters in mm-hmm. this book. You've got the three Lampreys, Patch, Frid, and uh, Lady Lamprey. Mm-hmm. You've got Robin, who is a lot of times like your point of view to everything. Yep. And then you've also got late, like you've got the servants. So mm-hmm. you've got Nanny, you've got Cora Black. More. More. I always want to say Blackburn. Well, that's a more common name. It is more common. Uh, and then you've got Tankerton. Yeah. Uh, and you've got Lady V. And oh, you've got <laughs> Aunt Kit. Aunt Kit. Oh, <laughs> love her. And is there anybody else? Um, Nanny. I said Nanny. You said Nanny? I said Nanny. But you've got this wealth of different Mm -hmm. women. Mm -hmm. Um, And they do different things in these books. Yeah. They don't, you know, like they they get an equal role in this. They do get an equal role and they're definitely, um, they're very different people. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, oh, here's like, here's what a woman looks like. Yeah. Or here's how a woman acts. Mm -hmm. Here's how a woman understands things. Like we get lots of different perspectives. Mm -hmm. As you pointed out, I think, in our previous conversation that Frid is actually the only Lamprey who's working towards getting a job. Yeah, they all make fun of her, but she's the only one who's trying to be an actress. Yeah. And she is doing a thing that women have long been taught is their only value, like trading off of their good looks. Mm-hmm. Like she, But she is trying her bestest at it. Well, as, as far as I think the Lampreys know how to try their best. Yeah, I actually feel like it's kind of implied that she's doing quite well at it. Like yeah. she is a naturally they, dramatic person. And, and I almost think that's why they make fun of her. Yeah. Because 
Because they're not so sp- sp- supposed to succeed at those things. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> yeah. And like you look at Henry, you look at Stephen and Colin and mm-hmm. they're not trying to get jobs, which is like one of the criticisms that Uncle Gabriel like throws at them when they ask for money. He's like, why? You have three grown sons. Like, why are they not working? Yeah. And they're like, well, they tried to get jobs, but they couldn't. It's like, because they didn't actually want to do the work. Yeah. 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 But then, yeah. And you see. But you see Frid understand like better her position in life mm-hmm. where she's like, well, you know, Henry's the heir. Like Mm -hmm. I got to actually like much like women throughout time, like with dowries and stuff like they're like, no one's paying for me when I'm older. Like, yeah, Yeah, for sure. And, um, yeah. And then Charlotte too, like it's much more of a traditional female role, but she Mm -hmm. certainly like manages that family. She's a matriarch. She is a matriarch. And shockingly, like, I think they're such a young family. Like I think it mentions that when Roberta first meets them in New Zealand when she's like 14 or something, Mm -hmm. Lady Lamprey is only 36 and she's got like all those kids. It's a lot. It's a lot. So like this is a woman who has a worked heart. (laughs) Yeah. 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 In the, um, yeah. In the home. Yeah. Which is no less of a job. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah. And, uh, also, I thought of another... Um, Whoa there! That we should have mentioned in that. But mm. there is... Um, so, Patch. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of fat shaming of Patch. Oh, yeah. The fat shaming of Patch. And how old do we think Patch is here? Like, Patch would be around thir- 13, 14 and Yeah, this? I would yeah. agree. Yeah. So, that's too bad. I know. It's been like... They're all always calling her... Yeah. They're saying... All the boys yeah. are calling her out for being plump. Yeah. And then Lady Charlotte, like, defends her, but only to be like, she's going to grow out of it. Yeah, it's puppy fat, darling. Like, Yeah. Yeah, so that's yeah. shitty. That's shitty. Um, yeah, and then just to talk a little bit more about Niall Marsh herself, um, I think in this section, too, we're probably... Look at um, the things that each of these authors specifically brought to the genre. Mm. Um, and I think that one of the things that is really noticeable in the Niall Marsh books is that, yes, she has Alan, who is her quote-unquote main character detective, but in some of the books, like, he doesn't even really do that much. Hmm. A lot of her books are almost, um, they're almost like two books in one. Like, you often get a large section of the book at the beginning, which sets up a whole cast of characters, setting, scenario, background, before Alan even comes into it. Right. So in this one, it starts out in New Zealand. You start out with Roberta. You see her meeting the Lampreys. You see that relationship developing over years. And then it transitions to England. And it's, you know, there's been a gap of time. And then she's traveling to England to see them. And she hasn't seen them in many years. But there's so much happening before there's a murder, before there's a detective, before Mm -hmm. there's any sort of mystery. And I feel like... um, Nio Marsh was obviously a very skilled writer of detective fiction, but she was also very skilled in writing um, about places and relationships mm-hmm. and um, people that you often like. I sometimes I feel like, oh, you could just end this as like a sh- as a novella, mm-hmm. and it would just be like a little. Um, a little story about a group of people in relationship to one another. And it doesn't even need to have a murder or a detective who comes in later. Like you could, you could just have a little standalone thing if you wanted to. Yeah. You feel like almost sometimes the, the mystery edition is like the commercial edition. Like, 
Yeah. And I do think she did love it. And I mm-hmm. do think that like, yeah, obviously there's, um, there I are think she seeds. did love it. Cause yeah. she did it long after like everyone in New Zealand was like, Oh, but you're really good at the theater. And she's right. like, but I still actually like to write my mystery novels. Yeah. Like. Yeah. So, um, but I think that that's unusual mm. in yes. the genre. Like you typically, you know, you might start out with a little bit of the, the crime, but like mm-hmm. it's usually the detective comes into play pretty early. Yeah. And you don't always see that in her books, which I think is really fascinating. It's cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to get back to the books, to the to the whodunit at the end, um, you have two of the female characters pulling some big moves. Indeed you do. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we find out that Tinkerton has been the mastermind behind mm-hmm. like Giggle is hapless. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, that's not entirely unusual that like no. there would be like an evil female servant right. who was corruptive. Right. Um, that is, that is a trope. But then you have the bonkers edition of Lady V who... Yeah takes it upon herself to saw her husband's hand off. Her dead husband's husband's hand hand off. I guess that's better than her alive husband. I mean, she must have been cray cray. Sorry. (laughs) I apologize. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, she was. And it was actually like... That was kind of the the linking thing that got Alan onto the whole mm-hmm. unraveling of the puzzle was because when he talked to her, she was like referencing all these obscure witch trials and like, mm-hmm. which of course that, Alan was like, I know of these. Of course he does because he knows <laughs> everything. Um, but yeah, then he finds her book of black magic and sees these notes she's made in the margin. Like it never says what they are. But you can just imagine like <laughs> must get bone saw. Like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To do. <laughs> yeah. But it's so crazy too, because like, again, this murder was not planned planned. No. So she's just like Tinkerton. <laughs> it's like you've got to you got to be impressed with how Tankerton just really like capitalizes on this mm. moment. She's like, yeah. "Ooh, he's just had a falling out with his brother. Ooh, he and his wife are yelling at each other. Giggle, dear." How yeah. do you feel about taking this poker and just like stabbing him <laughs> through the eye while I stop the elevator on two? And he's like, yeah, okay, it's time. Like they had to have talked about this before, like if the opportunity presented itself. Mm-hmm. But then she, even when she realizes that Giggle is faltering under police scrutiny is like, oh, Lady V, you know, that hand of glory thing you've been taking notes about, like optimal time, the dead body in the, yeah. in the downstairs. And like, like, yeah, it's a remarkable presence of mind. It is a remarkable presence of mind. And I feel like she, um, she's very much a, a carpe diem sort of woman because mm. she, we find out that she was hiding in the closet and heard the argument between Charles and Gabriel. Mm-hmm. And that was when she, you know, spur of the moment, came up with the plan to murder him. Grabbed the murder weapon. Yeah, while there were other people that would be obvious suspects. There was a big risk she took. Huge risk. Um, and then and then when it started to fall apart and Giggle started to fall apart under police investigation, then she once again carpe diemed the situation by being like, I think you should cut off... Uh, his hand and that will no one would know anything about that you might as well the you know the devil wants you to do it or whatever so that that she could then frame her for killing giggle yeah 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 so evil evil woman and there's a point there's a part where alan says something like um the whole thing took shape in tinkerton's fertile brain indeed yeah indeed yeah yeah because you have to be really intense like 
yeah, focus to be like, oh, I can manipulate my mad woman of a mistress to mm-hmm. go and cut off her husband's hand and then get her to go do this. Yeah. 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 And to also like drug the nurse and mm-hmm. t- like she was on it. And yeah. like the reader hardly. What a feminist. And the, and the reader hardly <laughs> notices that she's there. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Wait. Fascinating. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I feel like we kind of got off of our feminism. Well, I'm just, but, I'm, I'm impressed at the lengths that Tinkerton went to. <laughs> well, yeah. And you get, you, you go girl. You go. <laughs> girl power. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's damn well debauched my chauffeur. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah. And anything else? Feminism? Um, I have to say that I quite like the romance between Robin and Henry because yeah. she is not playing the traditional, ooh, Henry, falling over mm-hmm, Henry. Mm-hmm. Like, she's really, like, reservedly, she, like, is talking about feelings that she has, but she's also yeah. noticing that Henry is becoming increasingly devoted to her and they're yeah. just falling into this pattern. And it's a really nice, I just appreciate the character of Robin as not being, like, so in awe of them and yeah. so in awe of Henry that she, she stays level-headed the entire time and questions them. Yeah. And even as she notes that she's falling in love with Henry, she's still kind of, she's not, yeah, I don't know. She doesn't, like, become irrational about it or, yes, like, silly yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. And I also really like that the portrayal of Henry falling for Robin is in his consideration of her. Mm. Like he's the one who always remembers to include her, to look out for her, to like mm-hmm, ask mm-hmm. her what she thinks or, you know, and half the time the rest of the family has forgotten she's there because in the middle of this drama, but yeah. Henry always remembers her yeah. and, and tries to make sure that she's okay. And I think that that's a really sweet um, portrayal of of that. That's a person that you should fall in love with. Someone mm-hmm. who's always remembering you and looking out for you. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's all, there's a greater connection there that they both kind of almost like feel this invisible cord between the two of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, I, th- I think it's a very sweet romance it is. and I liked its inclusion Yeah, that it's not shoved down your throat, but mm-hmm. it feels almost as natural to you as it does to them. Like, yeah. And I do like how Robin is like, she's not, yeah, like you said, she, she'll sass him, mm. you know, she'll still like right at the, even at the very end when after like they've all, the murder's been solved and they're all in the clear and Henry's like, I'm thinking of getting a job. And she's like, oh really? Like for the <laughs> first time now that it's not a necessity, like yeah. you're going to go get a job. Oh yes. I forgot about the ending when yeah. they're all like, oh guys, we re- got to talk about the fact that we're real poor now. <laughs> yeah. We've inherited all this money, but we also have all these buildings that cost so much money and yeah. you know, we have to redecorate, but we'll redecorate cheaply. Yeah. Like, and I love the part where Henry's like, they're in the grim old house yeah. and uh, he's like, oh, I wonder if this is going to be ours. And then he gets this like glazed over look and Robin, it's just like Robin noticed with alarm, like the look of a lamprey about to spend money. And she's like, the death duties will be huge. <laughs> <She's> like, <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, it makes you fond of Henry that he has the good sense to fall for someone like Robin, who is not frivolous, Mm -hmm. who appreciates frivolity, but is not frivolous herself. Yeah. 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 It's good. All right. Ooh, is there any... Oh. Horizontal refreshment in this book. (laughs) 
horizontal refreshment. Well, there's... She's damn well debauched, my chauffeur. Mm-hmm. I mean, it really gives yeah. you the sense that, like, Giggle and Tinkerton are, like, getting it on in the back of the limo while, like, the Lompreys yeah. are upstairs. Like, when he says it, I'm like, that's what they're doing right now. <laughs> and then at one point, I feel like I'm one of the Lampreys, maybe one of the twins, is like, Giggle, how could he? <laughs> <laughs> because Tinkerton is so gross and revolting. But we also have to remember that, like, most of that description comes from the Lampreys, who are, yeah. like, closed ranks and... If you're not with them, you are against them. And also, she smells like hair combing. Ew, it's gross. (laughs) She must... Well, she's corrupted Giggle. She's debauched him. She's debauched him. I mean, perhaps because of their situation, him being for Lord Weatherwood, her being for Lady Weatherwood, like, they're constantly thrown together and spend a lot of time, like, together alone waiting for their Lord and Lady to do shit. And while it's clear that Tinkerton is a very manipulative person and that Mm. Giggle is not very bright. Yeah. So there you have the ingredients right there for a good old debauching. (laughs) Yeah. I mean... (laughs) But yeah, that's pretty much the only horizontal refreshment that I think... As you say, there's a romance between Henry and Robin, but it's very innocent. And it's very, very innocent. Um, yeah. And then I do get the sense that Frid would like to have had a go at Alan, but she never gets the job. She never gets the job. No. Yeah. Yeah. Are there any cats in the book? No. No. Not at all. And now it's time for... Building a mystery. Building a mystery. So I feel like we've really covered a lot of this with the whodunit. We really did. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I, I forgive really, you. We really wanted that, that ode to Sarah McLachlan in here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I guess this is just a time to talk about the red herrings and, mm-hmm. and the pivotal moment. So we mm-hmm. actually, that was our opening paragraph, was mm. the turning moment for... Um, Alan, we're told in the book that Robin has told Alan something that no one else has done. Yes. And you don't know, like, unless you were to go back and, like, study and again study what everyone else is, um, you don't know what that moment is. But but what Robin has described is that she heard the lift going Down. down, not once, but or up and down, not once, but twice. Or that she didn't actually hear it the second time, but she heard the lift the go screaming. down and then come up. And then she heard the screaming. Yeah. Whereas everyone else said that she started, Lady Weatherwood started screaming when it was down and screamed the whole way up. Yeah, because that's that's that coming, you know, that Robin hears that mm-hmm. sound that gets closer and closer and it's yeah. inside. Yeah. So she's described the lift already going down and he is yeah. like, as soon as that happens and no one else has mentioned it, he's like, well, who, who did that? Yeah, what's happening there? And she, and then it describes her going to the window and putting her head out the window, which is why she didn't hear the lift the second time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you also get eventually that Michael, in his accurate descriptions of the comings and goings, mm-hmm. has talked about, I think it's the butler following him down the hallway. Yep. And Tinkerton, when she's hiding in the closet, misses the butler doing that. Yeah. And Alan puts together that, there's someone in the lift, like there's someone who has done something with the lift. Yep. And if she had been doing what she said, she should have bumped into the butler in yep. the hallway and she doesn't. Yeah. So that's how he that's knows how he, it's Tinkerton. Yeah. And then I think that he just 
the debauched, that comment probably was told to him by everybody. (laughs) (laughs) They were like, and then he said. (laughs) It is our favorite. It is our favorite. We made a sound effect out of it. We did. And then, of course, like they find out the the motive for Giggle. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the whole thing of the occult that comes Mm -hmm. into it. Um, Mm -hmm. Tinkerton's influence over her mistress. Yeah. 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 And And even Lady V's or Aunt V's um, deranged statement makes a sort of sense to Alan once he pieces it together, right? Because Mm. um, he's able to sort of see what she's, what she, the things are that she has misinterpreted as being supernatural, like what those actually are. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think one of the red herrings that they that that she throws in there is um something we actually haven't mentioned before but when he's investigating he's and he's talking to the lawyer the next day and he finds out that um Gabriel was about to disinherit mm, Aunt V. Yeah. That he was or not really disinherit but like give her like the smallest amount yes. that he legally could without divorcing her, right? Like Yeah. So as it stood when he died, she inherited a ton of wealth, mm-hmm. but had it, he gone like another couple of days, he was about to go to the lawyer and change his will. Yeah. So that's one where that gives her a super strong motive as well as her being really unbalanced, which we've already seen. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing I think is that, oh yeah. And along those lines, the reason why he was doing that is because she made a voodoo doll of him. <laughs> You remember that he goes to the lawyer right. and he's like losing his mind and he's like, right. what can I do if like my wife is trying to kill me? And then he's like, yeah. oh, I don't believe I'm in danger, but I'm in danger. <laughs> like, Yeah. He's yeah. like, she's got this voodoo doll. Like it's not, I don't really believe in it, but it's not a great sign. Yeah. And you can, <laughs> and from the lawyer's description, he was scared, yeah. but um, didn't want to admit that he put stock in that. The well, because she was kind of getting thing. like in increasingly unhinged like right one yeah. day voodoo doll with a pin the next day him with a knife like well yeah and indeed that is what happened yeah. <laughs> more or less skewer a skewer it's oh. such a grisly grisly death in this book it is disturbing you have to wonder or at least i did like did tinkerton tell giggle to do it that way i know i wondered that too i think probably not she probably just gave him a skewer and was like this is the best thing i got kill yeah. him yeah yeah. And I'm never quite sure of the significance because they go on and on about it. Maybe you can clarify for me. I probably just missed something. They go on and on about the fact that like Giggle and Tinkerton are thrown off by the fact that he doesn't die right away. Mm. Um, and I don't know what the significance of that is in terms of him lingering in such a state. Yeah, I don't know. Um, maybe it just gave everyone um like it really threw everyone into mm. like a a different kind of state of being like late right. aunt v for example that S- indeed really she went messed with her yeah because perhaps had she had more of her faculties mm-hmm. she would have been a more viable suspect exactly and i think it probably threw giggle too mm. and he was like really you yeah know, really scared from the beginning, like really on edge for his all, like his first interview, everything. And also I think that there was for that first little while, because they wouldn't have known they weren't in the room with the doctor. Like they might have thought he could identify. He could, yeah. He, yeah. If he wasn't dead, he could come back. Yeah. And they do try. They do try, but, but that's no. doesn't happen. But no, yeah. it's interesting because, um, I feel like these books kind of fall 
all the books that we're going to cover, um, they're not what I would call really like hard boiled detective mm. with really gritty kind of mm. like gruesome details, but they're also not cozy mysteries because you no. would never have something like this in a cozy mystery. Like I skewer through the eye, the description like, of the horrible noise that he's the making, gurgling noise oh. and how he lingers Ooh. and like, it's pretty gruesome. Yeah. And even like the doctors, like Alan being like, you have to ask him. They're like, he can't say anything now. And he's like, you have to try. Yeah. Like, yeah. And then at the end, like Robin waking up to the sound of a bone saw and she's like, I know what that is. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> how? how? Robin, how? My only explanation could be she's from New Zealand and like there's a lot of sheep there, but I still don't understand. Yeah, I don't understand either. It's an odd. Into her mind came the vision of a hand and a saw. It's like, what? (laughs) (laughs) That's weird, Robin. get that looked into. Um, But speaking of Robin in New Zealand, Mm. uh, one of the other things I think is really interesting in terms of misdirection or... It's not really a red herring because it's not exactly a clue, but she, um, because you do get a chunk of this book from her POV Mm -hmm. and we learn that she has, um, hasn't seen the lampreys for many years Mm -hmm. when she's traveling back to England and it's like literally the second day she's with them, this murder happens. Mm -hmm. So while she loves them and she's devoted to them, there's a part of her that's like, I don't really know these people. Yeah. Like, what if they're not what I think they are? Yeah. So there's always this little bit of doubt in Robin's mind, which then is in your mind. Where you're like, yeah, they're charming, but who are they really? And it also seems really convenient as a setup that they have this person who has just arrived, mm-hmm. who they know mm-hmm. loves them to bits, mm-hmm. to be like kind of a witness to them as yeah. they potentially commit this murder. Like her yeah. presence also is kind of a red herring in itself because yeah. of the fact that it took place that she had just arrived yeah. and they had just again confided her to her about all their money problems. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else we need to say about the book? Building the mystery. We're missing a prompt. I know we're missing character prompt. We're, yeah, we're missing who's your favorite character. I know because you haven't gotten to talk about yours. I haven't. We barely mentioned her. We barely mentioned her. Perhaps we should just do it. Let's just do it. Turn the page. Turn the page. Who's your favorite character? <laughs> uh, Lady Catherine Loeb, of course. Aunt Kit. She she's their elderly aunt. She whispers everything. She's deaf and so kind-hearted. Mm. Yeah. They lose her for a large portion of the novel and they keep forgetting and then remembering again. And they're like, why can't we remember that Aunt Kit is gone? And like, and it turns yeah. out she's gone to pawn her jewelry to help them out of their financial difficulties. Yeah. And while she's gone, the murder dies. And, and she just like shuffles back in yeah. and Alan's like, who is this? Like coming up the stairs to me. Yeah. I got, okay. Yeah. There's a really great part where um, Frid describes how one time she got locked in a train station bathroom because no one could hear her whispering, let me out, please. (laughs) (laughs) And I love how she's so firmly um, disapproving of Lord Weatherwood. And she's like, I write him all these letters to like support my charities. And he never does. Like she's one of those nobility that really like she feels her social duty Mm -hmm. and she is appalled that her um, nephew is so rich 
and yet um, give so little. Yeah, totally selfish. And she's like, yeah. he's always been inclined to yeah. think of himself. Yeah. Yeah. So she's got a she's got a real kind heart. Yeah. yeah. And here's a really great description of when she returns to the flat. <laughs> it says, um, so Alan's on the landing and uh, he hears a noise and he moved to the stairhead and looked down. Someone was mounting the stairs slowly, laboriously. He heard this person cross the landing of the flat beneath. He caught sight of a pancake-like hat, a pair of drooping shoulders, and uneven skirt. This new arrival assisted herself upstairs with her umbrella. That was the origin of the thumping sound. He heard breathing and another faint, sibilant noise. She appeared to be whispering to herself. <laughs> oh, she's just so good. Yeah, and then it's like that really confusing moment where she's like, oh, yes, I've heard what happened. He's like, you have <laughs> Like, yeah. Oh dear. And she's like, oh, he told me he was going to have to do it. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, this is so strange. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, no, so she good. is awesome. Yeah. yeah. All right. Who's your favorite? Oh, my favorite character. Hmm. Hmm. God, there's so many good ones. There's so many good ones. Like the Lampreys are just so great. Mm-hmm. I think it would have to be... Um, Probably Lady Charlotte. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I like her a lot too. I like her a lot. I just feel like she's also like she's, she's, they might be ridiculous, but they haven't put their minds, like they, they exercise their minds they do. a lot. Yeah. And like her whole thing with Alan and like trying to get a laugh out of him. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I really appreciate. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the way that like, as soon as like Robin like is there for any amount of time, she can tell that Lady Charlotte's like, okay, now it's time for the gossip. <laughs> yeah. like, and she's like in, in senseless certain settling in. She's yeah. like, all right, I know what's happening here. Yeah. And I just yeah. love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's good. All yeah. right. Should we pull a random character question all right. from do, the do, question do, 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 do. Oh, I feel like I know the answer. Oh. Which character would you be most likely to fall in love with? Oh, well, probably Handsome Alan. Well, yeah, he's the obvious He's handsome choice. and he's smart yeah. and he solves the crimes. He solves the crimes. And he's a member of the nobility, but he doesn't rest on that. <laughs> <laughs> and he could be played by man. Brad Pitt. And he could be played by Brad Pitt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I yeah. agree. It would be Handsome Alan yeah. with a name like that. How could yeah. you not? Except that maybe you'd also be inclined to Henry by the end. Lord of Rune is... Quite mm. the title. It's a good title. Yeah. Yeah. But no, I think... No, it's Handsome Alan. It's Handsome Alan. Yeah. 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 Alan does actually get to Lady in other books. Mm-hmm. And she is quite cool. She is. She's very cool. Agatha Troy. She's a painter. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, keeps the mental... Like, she's she's a she's a mentally fit, like, mm-hmm. companion for him, mm-hmm. which is great. Interesting, because they have... Um, the book in which they meet involves a murder that... In which she is a suspect. Mm-hmm. And uh, and there's a whole storyline that goes through like several books as they're trying to get together where basically like she's like, that was so horrible, that experience. It happens at her house and it's mm. like she's very involved and it's some, someone that she knows who's died. And anyway, she's like, I can't be with you because you're going to want to talk about work and it's going to remind me of this trauma. Mm. And he's like, I get it. Like, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm not going to put you through that. And so then they have this whole, will they or won't they? Yeah. And then yeah. of course they do eventually. Yeah. But it's, it's nice because he does understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 What a guy. What a guy. Yeah. All right. 
Well, that about sums us up. That's our bullet prompts done. Yeah. And that is The Surfet of Lampreys by Niall Marsh. We hope you quite enjoyed it. Um, mm-hmm. This was one of my favorite ones that I read because mm-hmm. um, I think if you've listened to the mini said you probably know, but just in case, like we wanted to do this, <laughs> this whole this whole series because of Dorothy Sayers. Yeah. And so I read these other books in preparation for this series as we expanded upon it. Yeah. And this was my favorite other than the Dorothy Sayers books because yep. the Lampreys were such great characters. Yeah. They're really fun to read about. They take it to that next level. Yeah. And there's just, there's also just a lot of really great, another hallmark of Niall Marsh is like just really great descriptions mm-hmm. um, peppered really in there. Moments. Great yeah. moments, like lots of wit and humor. Like, yes. There's like a really great description of the lawyer at one point where she mm. says something like he burrowed down into his chair, which in a less emaciated man would make you think he was about to eat a square meal. So she's got yeah. a really good like turn of phrase and a yeah. really great sense of humor. Yeah. And there's the good news is there's lots of Niall Marsh books mm-hmm. out there. So um, How about her? go forth and read. Are we going to do books and covers? Oh, yeah. Uh. Yeah, uh, none of, neither of these covers are great. Neither of our covers are great, and unfortunately, that will be a continuing sentiment. Yeah, uh, someone needs to re-release some really stunning editions of these. Yeah, well, I think part of the problem is that um, mystery novels are often considered like they're series, like you know, yeah. Roderick Allen two, Roderick Allen four, right? And so, there's uh, my book is actually a cover that they have. It's kind of got curtains and it's slightly opening. So mm. that's kind of the picture that changes in the middle that the curtains right. revealing and they're yeah, all look yeah. like that. Except that these curtains look like strips of bacon. They really do. And they're also going the wrong way for curtains. Yeah. Well. You know, like, shouldn't they be going like that? No, but they're opening. So they're getting pulled back from the top because okay. that's how curtains attach. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> Thank you for explaining how curtains <laughs> work to me. I needed to know. Um, yeah. So Roderick Allen number 10. Um, yeah. I must say the Niall Marsh font on this book is quite excellent. Okay. I like it. But okay. overall, this book, well, and also I should say that this book edition is by Felony and Mayhem is a publisher. And it's a great publisher name. They have a great publisher name and they're, um, their logo is quite nice. Nicer than the rest of the book. I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, well, my edition is HarperCollins. It has a gross, it almost looks like a oil pastel It's really, It's really terrible. It's of Gabriel in the lift with the skewer in his eye. It's yeah, clutching with a very pink hand. It's a huge pink hand. Huge pink hand. Why is it pink when the rest of him is not yeah, and it's also... It's like um, reverse Trump. It's like a little <laughs> bit blurred. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, because they can't show you... It's it's a motion shot. No, no. I mean, like, the fonts and oh. everything. Like, and look at the back. Like, all the text. Oh, it's, it's bleeding. It's not quite crisp. It's mm-hmm. it's not very... Gross. It's not very well done. Harper no. Collins. Yeah. So um, I think some of the older... Like, if you can find the old old school ones they make mm-hmm, better mm-hmm. but then again maybe not because i do have some truly terrible Niall marsh old editions um yeah i've got the, some bad and ones and the prints are tiny in those old ones too the, yeah the she could do tiny. with a reprint mm-hmm. anyways anyways that is that's us and Niall marsh for this edition all right all right still don't have a sign off nope but thank you for listening to our episode <laughs> and you can follow us on instagram at storygirls podcast Podcast or twitter at story girls tweet 
or if you need to contact us, <laughs> if you need to, if you need to, <laughs> you can you can email us at storygirlspodcast at gmail. I haven't checked that email in a long time. <laughs> oh wait, no, wait, wait, I just get it to my phone. It's yeah, fine. It's I fine. I know. She checks it all the time, guys. Yeah, I check it all the time. As do I. <laughs> <laughs> um, and thanks again to tech support, Rob for helping us out yes and also for our theme song and original music um and until next time so next time we're going to be doing to love and be wise by josephine tay mm-hmm. um, josephine tay was an excellent writer she only wrote seven books on like niall marsh's 42 or three or however many it was seven is still quite good i know you know what i got none i got none either so girl power girl power <laughs> Fist bumping out. (laughs) 